Our second reading comes from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God. We've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. We're continuing our journey through the narrative lectionary. We started in Genesis, and then we skipped ahead several generations to Abraham, who was promised descendants as many of the stars. And this was to be carried out by his son Isaac. And now this week we're taking a look at Isaac's family. We're looking at his twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Particularly, we're looking at Jacob in a vision he had that we commonly know as Jacob's ladder. When he envisioned a ladder reaching from the earth to the heavens with angels going up and down, descending to the earth, climbing to the heavens. And Jacob and Esau teach us many things. I think the first thing we learn when we look at Jacob's ladder is that God is always with us. And this is something we might know in our minds. We confess that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But it doesn't always feel like God is always with us. Sometimes we might feel like we're all alone. That we're by ourselves. That we're abandoned. Sometimes we might feel like there's nothing we can do but to lay down on the earth and take a rock for our pillow and lay our head upon it. No doubt Jacob felt alone in this passage. 
But then that's when God appeared to him. That's when God said, surely I am with you and I will always be with you. And I will bring you back to this place and I will fulfill my promises to you. God is always with us. And God will always be with us. God meets us where we are. Here is Jacob in the wilderness, in the desert, in a place with nothing to do but to lay his head on a rock and sleep. And even there, God is with him. And we should take comfort in the fact that God comes to us where we are, that God is always with us no matter where we might find ourselves. If we need any other evidence of this, we need but look to Christ. Because what is Jesus Christ if not Emmanuel, God with us? What is Jesus Christ if not God coming to us where we are in our human flesh here upon the earth? And even when we feel alone, abandoned, desolate, we have the promise that God is with us. But not only do we not feel like God is always with us, but sometimes we feel like God doesn't, we don't deserve to have God with us. That we've sinned against God, that we've done something grievous, that we've offended God. No doubt that is how Jacob felt. It's been almost 30 years since a movie was released, and it's a movie that, that I remember seeing as a, a tween, I guess. I was 12, 13 years old. And I was really excited because it's not every sermon that I get to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. <laughs> but in 1988, they released a movie called Twins. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's first foray into comedy. And it's a fascinating story about how the movie was made. They didn't have enough money, so the actors took cuts on the other end. And, and it's one of the movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger made more money of than any other movie that he released. But the theory behind this movie was that geneticists tried to create the perfect person. And so they got in the lab and they had six fathers and and one mother and they did genetic splicing and they created what at least in 1988 was the perfect man Arnold Schwarzenegger but they didn't count on his twin which in the words of the movie was everything left over after creating the perfect man Danny DeVito and the whole movie was based on the, the comedy of seeing these two, you know, a six foot six strapping muscular former Mr. Universe and Danny DeVito, who I don't even know if he's five foot and, uh, you know, and they're, they're twin brothers and their personalities were so different as well. And I, I think about this movie when I think of Jacob and Esau, because they were also twins. In fact, their mother, Rebecca, had a difficult pregnancy because they were fighting in the womb. I mean, this sibling rivalry went back to the very beginning. And Esau was the older brother, but it's Jacob that we remember. The psalm I read at the beginning of the service spoke of the God of Jacob, but how often do we speak of the God of Esau? And Esau was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was a man's man. He was covered with hair from the beginning, from birth. It said it looked like he was wearing a hairy garment. 
In fact, Esau means red because he was covered with red hair. And he was a hunter and a forager and, and just a man's man. And his father loved him. And he was the firstborn. He was the one that was going to carry on the line of Isaac and of Abraham. And then there's his twin brother, Danny DeVito. Jacob, who we assume was scrawny, who was the schemer, who came out grasping his brother's heel, fighting to become the firstborn. And when we read the story of Jacob and Esau, we see Jacob first cheating Esau out of his birthright. Esau had been away for a long period, hunting, gathering food for his family, came back famished. He was literally starving, and Esau pulled out a bowl of stew, and he knew how hungry he was, and he let the aromas permeate their home, and said, give me your birthright, and I will let you have food. And Esau had no choice. Later in life, the birthright wasn't enough for Jacob. So Esau was again sent hunting, and Isaac said, when you get back, my time is near, I will bless you, my son, and pass along my blessing to you. And so Esau, with the help of his, or Jacob, with the help of his mother, covered himself in animal fur, so he would feel like his brother. And he went to his father and said, Lord, our father, I'm here, your son Esau, give me your blessing." And Isaac was skeptical, so he felt him. He's like, yeah, this guy's furry. This is my older son. And he gave him his blessing. And Esau was outraged. Esau wanted to literally slit his throat. And so Jacob flees. Jacob runs from his family, from his mother, his father, his brother. He's stolen the blessing and the birthright. And we have to remember, this is an important blessing and this is an important birthright. It's the one passed down from Abraham, the one that's going to be descendants among the stars, that a great nation will come from his lineage. And it's here where our second passage takes place. Jacob's on the run. Jacob's fleed from his home, his family. He's a wanted criminal. He's done one of the most despicable things that has been done in any story in the Bible so far, except for Cain and Abel. He's stolen his father's birthright. He's stolen his father's uh, blessing from his brother. Now he's fleeing for his life. He's all alone. He's at rock bottom. Literally, he's at rock bottom. This is where he is. He takes a rock to be his pillow. In a couple of weeks, uh, Heather and I are taking Hannah camping for the first time. And we will not be using rocks for our pillows. That does not sound comfortable. In fact, we had to invest in air mattresses that would fit in our tent because we didn't want rocks for our bed. We, we wanted comfort. We don't want rocks for our pillows. That shows how low Jacob has sunk. And it's here that God appears to him. It's hard to find a moral in this story because it seems like God should appear to Esau. Esau, the eldest son. Esau, the deceived. Esau, the cheated. But it's Jacob that God comes to. It's Jacob that God blesses. 
And this shows us that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we cannot be separated from God's love and God's grace. That no matter how despicable of things we think we've done, no matter how far we've sunken, God is still there for us. God still loves us. God is still present with us. There's nothing we can do, nowhere we can go to escape God's grace. As Paul later wrote, there's nothing in life or in death, nor heights, heights, nor depths that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And here Jacob experiences that. Here Jacob, who's on the run from cheating his family, deceiving his father, fleeing for his very life, receives a gift from God. Receives a blessing from God. And we see that even Jacob, the schemer, the conniver, the thief, is loved by God. And something amazing happens. Jacob is transformed. When we experience God, when we have a true encounter with God, we are changed people. There's no indication that Jacob believed in God before this. In fact, when he's talking to his father, as Esau, he says, your God has blessed me. Not God, not my God, but your God has blessed me. Immediately following this passage, Jacob says, you are going to feed me and shelter me. And the Lord will be my God. He encounters God and he is transformed by it. If we read the chapters that follow this, we see that Jacob is no longer a schemer, no longer a deceiver. After this, he goes to a a foreign land and he runs into a, a relative, Laban. And there he meets Laban's beautiful daughter, Rachel, and falls deeply in love with her. And Laban says, well, you can't marry her for free and you've got nothing. You have to serve me for seven years and then you can marry my daughter. Now, pre-encounter with God, Jacob might just run away with Rachel. But instead, he dutifully spends seven years working the land, caring for the livestock, integrating himself into this household. And at the wedding night, there was a huge party. And Jacob went back to his tent, happily married, ready to, to spend his first night with his wife. And he wakes up in the morning, and it's not Rachel, but her sister Leah. Now Jacob is the one who's been deceived. He's not married to Rachel at all, but to her sister Leah. And again, we have to think that the old Jacob would rise against Leah and Rachel's father. Or the old Jacob would steal away with Rachel, abandoning Leah and doing whatever he could. But instead, he goes to her father and he works for another seven years. 
And then he marries Rachel. And he takes both sisters as his wives. He honors his commitment. And even when he's deceived, he stays true to what God has asked of him. And after his 14 years of commitment, after he finally marries the woman he wants, he's free to go. He's amassed quite a bit of wealth. He's been blessed. And so what does he do? He seeks out his brother Esau. 14 years ago, he's been slaving away in a foreign land. And now he goes out looking for his brother to make things right. To apologize, to make amends. And we see that Jacob is truly a transformed person. That that vision, that encounter with God changed who he was. At his very core. Our closing hymn today is going to be a hymn that's familiar to just about everyone here. It's Amazing Grace. It's been sung in the church for hundreds of years. And many of you probably know the story about it, that John Newton wrote it. And John Newton wrote it because of an experience that he had. He was the captain of a ship, but not just any ship. He was the captain of a slave ship. And he transported slaves across the Atlantic so that they could be sold. And this started to weigh on him. And he started to hear the voices of those who had died aboard his ship. Started to hear the screams of the children he'd separated from his parents. The husbands and wives he'd separated. And he realized how low he sank. But then he had an experience with God. Then he was transformed and he's quit being a slave captain. And instead he became a minister, a pastor, a priest. He started serving God and speaking out in favor of abolishing slavery. And it's then that he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. He had experienced God at the depths of who he was. He saw that God was still with him. He was transformed. And when we look at Jacob, we see the truth. same is true for Jacob and the same is true for us. We see that God is always with us. That God is ever present with us. That there's nowhere we can do, nothing we can do. Nowhere we can go that will separate us from the love of God. No depth to which we can sink that God's grace can't overcome. And we see that when we experience God, we become a changed people. So let us stand together and let us sing, Change My Heart, O God.